0: Well, good morning, church. Today, our passage uh, comes again from Mark 2. Um, And this is Mark 2, verses 23 to 28. It says this, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did?
1: Well, church, uh, our next preacher is having a little bit of a a debut with us this morning. Uh, We had a good idea, and so we asked Rachel if she would come and preach and share the word this morning. And I know she's been working really hard to prepare something. So I'm just going to pray for her and then throw it over to her to to share her very first message. So be kind in the comments, okay? (laughs) father god we just pray that you'd bless rachel as she opens the word for us this morning father we thank you that any one of us as your children father adopted into your family have the opportunity just to open your word and find encouragement in it and share that encouragement with us as a church so father we thank you for rachel doing that for us this morning We thank you that you are good and that you are God, and we thank you that she knows you as her heavenly Father, and so as she shares from your Father's heart with us this morning, we pray a special blessing on her now. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Um, Before we start, I'm just going to kind of recap what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks Uh, Joel has talked about these come-to-Jesus moments where there's been opportunities where Jesus has created an invitation for different people in different instances and includes the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. We also see from last week that Shelby talked about barriers that the Pharisees were creating between them coming to Jesus. And this week in our passage, we're going to see something kind of similar we're going to see that the Pharisees just don't recognize Jesus for who he really is. He truly is Lord of the Sabbath. So with all that in mind, let's take a look at our passage today. We're going to get knee-deep into Sabbath happenings, and let's just focus first on verses 23 and 24. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So before we go any further, we have to understand what is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat, and it means to stop or desist. So when we think of Sabbath, we should think of stopping doing things. But Where this word actually comes from is Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, in the creation account. So if you were to turn back in your Bible, or if you just remember it because you've read it recently, uh, you could look at verses 2 in chapter 2. And it says that God had created everything, and then he ceased doing things. So he stopped. But the language here is that he rested. Literally, the verse says, by the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day all the work that he had been doing. That word, ceased or rested in some translations, is the same word. It's where we get Shabbat from. So it doesn't just mean to stop, it means to rest. So when we see the word Sabbath, we should automatically think, oh, stopping and resting. So now that we have a basic understanding and we look at this, we have to look at the contrast of the actions of the disciples and the reaction of the Pharisees. So if you look at passage, I'm sorry, if you look at the verse 24, you can see that they're upset. The Pharisees do not like what's going on. Well, why do they feel that way? Are they just pulling this out of thin air? Are they jealous? What's going on? In order to know what's going on, we have to look at our Old Testament because we're not Pharisees ourselves. And so if we look at the Old Testament, we can kind of see where they get this picture of Sabbath and why they're feeling the way they do. If you go to the Torah which is the first five books of the Old Testament. In it, you're going to get the law. And in that law, you're going to see where they get this idea of not doing anything. In Exodus, specifically in chapter 20, God is giving the law, the Ten Commandments, through Moses to the people for the first time. In those Ten Commandments, we have the Sabbath. It says that it's given and Alongside a reason for why it's given, it's a day for Yahweh, it's in order to know him, and it's consecrated by him, which just means it's set apart and made special for him. In chapter 31 of Exodus, it goes a little bit further, and it talks about it being a sign between Israel and Yahweh, along with a sharp warning, and that warning includes if you don't do the thing, you're going to get killed. And so these Pharisees are like, you're not doing the thing. There's a warning there, so you can kind of understand why they feel the way they do. It's easy to see that they're like, you're working, and that's not okay. But if we leave it there, if we don't look deeper into these verses, it's a shallow understanding of what God's actually saying. What he's really saying is he is inviting into more than just a rule to follow— He's inviting you into a relationship with him. He, I mean, we have language like to know between you and me and being brought away from slavery that we can read very clearly. That should be an indication that there's more than just following rules. It's a relationship with God, the one who created you and loves you. So this begs a question. Are you more concerned with the rules that God makes, or the relationship with him. Which one do you look like in this instance? Do you look like a disciple or a Pharisee? There's something that the disciples are showing the Pharisees that they're just missing in our passage in Mark. And Jesus is pointing it out in, dare I say, a cheeky way. (laughs) He's going to continuously unpacking this idea. And if you look at verses 25... In 26, we can see this. He starts to go further than just talking about an issue they have, but he's talking about their hearts. He uses a familiar king who is loved and honored by Israel, and he's breaking a familiar law that is loved and honored by these Pharisees. It If you look at the verses, it talks about how David was hungry, and he entered the house of God, and he ate this bread called the bread of the presence. Now, if you want the bigger picture of what Jesus is throwing back to, it's, guess what, in the Old Testament. Uh, If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 21, you can read this story. What's really going on in the bigger context, though, is in this story, Saul is trying to murder David. Saul's son Jonathan, which is David's BFF, has warned him, and so David is leaving where he normally is in the kingdom to run away. And where does he go? He goes to the place where God dwells, the tabernacle. So we see that David is running for his life, and he goes to God. And in this story, David's hungry, obviously, because he's been running And um, he needs to eat something, but all that's available is the bread of the presence. If you've never heard the bread of the presence, guess what? It's in Exodus and all over the Old Testament. (laughs) And uh, so if you want to read about it in detail, please go ahead and do that. But all you need to know is this bread is special, and it's only for Levites to eat. So if you're not from the tribe of Levi and you don't work in the temple, you're not supposed to eat it. It's actually in the law. And so we see the high priest, Abiathar or a Ahimelech, depending on your translation, it's father and son, it's just during that time. But even the priest who knows this gives the bread to David. So what is D- Jesus talking about here with this story? He's showing that there's flaws in the Pharisees' thinking. And he's going beyond outer behavior, but to their hearts. He's showing how Yahweh didn't punish David for eating the bread of the presence. He allowed it to happen. He's showing that the spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that the law doesn't matter at all, but we can see a deeper level of understanding here. God also demonstrates the same idea in a few pages before in 1 Samuel with Saul himself. You see where Saul was supposed to completely wipe out these people. He was commanded by God to do it. And Samuel comes up to him, but Saul's kept all these cattle and sheep, like the best of the best, to sacrifice to God. And Saul's like, I did the right thing. I'm sacrificing to God. And Samuel's like, no, bro, that's not what you're supposed to do. God specifically gave him an instruction. And the quote that I want you to think about is, Samuel says, do I desire sacrifices? That's not what God says. He says, no, I I want obedience. He doesn't want the ritual. He wants your heart. So, The Sabbath is about stopping, to be sure, but it's also about resting in the one who created and called us good. Jesus is demonstrating this relational aspect of Sabbath, and it's shown through his relationship with him and his disciples. They're so at rest that they can pluck grain while they're listening to him. We can also see in the Bible that the Sabbath is a joyous time. In Isaiah 56, it talks about happy is the one who keeps the Sabbath, who keeps his hand from doing things, not just because he did the thing, but he chooses to do it. In Psalm 92, that whole psalm is for the Sabbath. It probably says that in your heading in the Bible. It's for thankfulness, praising, thinking about God's loyal love and faithfulness. If you go to Leviticus 23, the entire chapter is all about feasts. Guess what? All of those feasts that are commanded by God are on a Sabbath. God literally dedicates parties to celebrate him and what he's done with his people. So we can see this relational aspect with Yahweh, not just a stiff following of rules, God delights when we follow after him and obey him with our whole hearts and enjoy him. In fact, there are sharp warnings in the Bible for people who just do the thing and they don't actually have their hearts in it. You can see that with the story of Saul that I just mentioned. In fact, he loses the kingdom as a result. God, obeys, or God delights when we obey in him. Who do you delight in? Next, we see Jesus in our passage reorientating the Sabbath. He changes the picture of following things onto a person. And you can see that in 27 and 28. It says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is supposed to be something special for us. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So we see the Sabbath is established for people, not the other way around. Where does Jesus get this? Guess what? The Old Testament. If you go to Genesis, you can see the order of creation. Humanity, Adam, is created on the sixth day. The seventh day is when he rested. So we have this picture of us in humans, humanity, enjoying the presence of God, Yahweh, on the seventh day in the garden. So we should automatically be thinking of the garden and what happened there. We had perfect rest and relationship. I want to mention another aspect as well, Work. So when we think of the garden image, there was still work to do, but it wasn't the kind of work that we think of now, like toiling. Adam had a consequence for eating the forbidden fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat, and the ground got cursed because of it. And that's when we get the really hard work, the toil that we're not really fond of. But before that, work was done in an enjoyable way, and it was with God at the center So to pull this from an analogy of my own life, I really love to cycle. I do tend to cycle indoors with a trainer and with an app called Zwift. Now in this app, there's loads of different courses you can pick, but there's one in particular that you can't do until you're a certain level, and that one is called Alpe de Zwift. It's based on a portion of the Tour de France. So it's pretty difficult, and that should have flags all over it. And yet, I decided I wanted to try this out. So I got all of my water, my extra water, I got my snacks. I was prepared to do this, and I begun my journey on something that I realized very quickly was probably the worst decision I've ever made in my entire life. And basically, the inclines were so brutal, it was uphill the entire time, for roughly seven and a half miles, and I, even with warning signs where my body was telling me to stop and rest, I refused to do it, I just pushed through. It took me three hours to complete this track, and that's not including the hour break I took in between for lunch. While I'm happy to say that I finished this, and I'll probably never do it again, Cycling was no longer something that was enjoyable at that point. It became work in the spirit of toiling. Now, obviously, with restrictions, work can't be completely ignored. So like just like me with cycling and the disciples with walking and getting hungry, we need to eat. Work, in that sense... Is not the toiling kind that the Sabbath is forbidding you to do. So, what matters most in these instances is where does the focus lie? The heart of the issue that Jesus is addressing with this is re- reorientating from a task onto his person, the Son of Man. So, let's go a little further. What does Son of Man even mean? Well, This language, first off, is Jesus' way of referring to himself. Even though he is also what we know as the Messiah, he usually uses Son of Man. It's from Daniel chapter 7. In that chapter, Daniel's getting a revelation of different things going on where There's a lot of really creepy beasts that are coming up, and they represent nations that are oppressing Israel, and there's someone who's going to come that breaks all of those things and restores them to the way that God wants things restored, relationship with him. But it says specifically that there's the Son of Man, and that title denotes a human-looking figure, but he's given privileges that are normally reserved for God. So while he's human, he can actually sit down by God. So no human so far in history has been able to do this, so he's special. These things that he's given are authority, glory, sovereign power, worship from men of every tribe, language and (laughs) tongue, apparently more than what I can say, and an eternal kingdom. So he's proving right now that he has the right to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He's proving that he's more than just a random human. He's saying he's the son of man. He's saying he's God. So you might be saying, okay, so we follow Jesus. What about the Sabbath? Should we do the Sabbath? I don't Understand, I thought we'd do our own thing. What does Sabbath mean for us? Well, that's a good question. I think there's a couple camps that people fall into. Some people have Sabbath on Sunday because it's the day you go to church, some people do it on Saturday because that was the original Sabbath, the seventh day. Some people just rest and spend time with God in their own time, and some people do exactly what the Jews did. Regardless of where you land, I think that there's a central point and a spiritual practice that both honors the Sabbath and honors God. Jesus wants us to intentionally take time, rest, and enjoy him in his kingdom work, and not us and our toiling work for our own little kingdoms. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were so afraid of older generational counterparts that they put all these extra barriers and laws to make sure they didn't do the wrong thing. The problem with this is that it keeps them from understanding God's invitation into relationship with him. They were so caught up with ritual that they missed the relationship. What kind of work are you pursuing? Is it God-centered, restfulness, or is it me-centered toil? So as we come to the end of this passage, in the words of my very cute husband, so what? <laughs> the Pharisees, we see, were caught up with their rules. They missed the rest and a relationship that they were being invited into and that was awaiting them. The, Pharisei- the Pharisees did not recognize Jesus for who he really was. Jesus restores rest and relationship that was lost in the garden. He breathes life back into us. He offers us salvation. He gives us the ability to learn what work done with him can be like, with him at the center, restful. is truly Lord of the Sabbath. This automatically makes me think of a very familiar verse that hopefully will have new life that's breathed into it for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Our Sabbaths, whatever they look like, should be a time of enjoyment, praise, and reflection on our true King, Jesus. Spend time with him, because not only does he deserve it, he desires that time with us for those who are called by his name. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's rich with images and Titles that, when they're unpacked, give us more understanding of who you are. I thank you that you love us, you pursue us, and you have a heart to have a relationship with us. God, it's so appropriate that Easter is around the corner. Thank you for your sacrifice and conquering of death and raising on the third day and restoring us to be the humanity you designed us to be. God, may we not miss who you are. May we pay attention to you. And may we orient our lives around you and enjoy you. Be with our church this week. It's Holy Week, Lord, and it's so appropriate for all of these things that have already been said today. And God, I just pray that we know you in a deeper way, in a a real way authentic way. Bless our church and those listening, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.